A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means that adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. Hey friends, you're listening to another episode of A Tiny Revolution, a podcast about ordinary people living revolutionary lives. I'm Kevin Garcia. Welcome back to you and also to myself because last week I was sick as a dog, boo. Um, I went to the doctor because I had like 102 fever and I'm like, I'm throwing up. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. I think I have the flu. Turns out not to be the flu, but something kind of gross. So we're not going to go into that. Uh, but it took me about a week to recover, and then I was traveling in New York to speak at Artisan Church, which was so much fun. So thank you to Anna and Elliot Voss for hosting me with their delightful children in their home, and I had such a good time there. Uh, and thank you to the people of Artisan Church for putting up with my weirdness for one morning. Um, you can catch that uh, podcast on the Artisan Church podcast, um, so go check that out. Um, I also am going to upload the audio to my Patreon supporters in a little video, so if you want to watch it, it's a little bit of bonus content for you. You just have to become a Patreon supporter at uh, even just a little as a dollar a month. Go check that out, boo-boo. Um, today's podcast, we are talking to my friend Amber Cantorna, someone who's been on the podcast before, and she's coming back because she's coming out with her second book. Actually, her book came out last week, if memory serves me, and that's when the podcast was supposed to premiere. Um, so sorry I, I'm getting this out a week late, but that is how the cookie crumbles, as it were. Amber Cantorna is an author, speaker, and a wife, and a dog mom of two. She's an author, blogger, and national speaker, focusing her work around the topics of faith and queer identity. She's the author of Refocusing My Family and her newest book, Unashamed, a coming out guide for LGBTQ Christians. It's the first resource of its kind to provide practical tools and tips for LGBTQ people of faith navigating their coming out process. She's also uh, someone who grew up homeschooled. She's the daughter of the 30 plus years executive of Focus on the Family and she's gay. So that's complicated. And that's also what led her into this field. Losing everything over the one defining moment of authenticity has propelled her forward into a world of helping other people dissolve shame, foster self-acceptance, reconcile their faith and sexuality, and navigate their own coming out process. Uh, Amber is a delightful human. I've enjoyed getting to know her over these past few years, and I think that you're absolutely going to love our conversation today. So go ahead and grab your cup of tea, coffee, whatever you're drinking today, BB, and let's dive into this conversation with my friend, Amber Cantorna. Well, um, I currently am primarily just working with LGBT people who come from conservative faith backgrounds and helping them navigate their coming out process. Um, I grew up a very conservative Christian. My dad has been an executive at Focus on the Family for 30 years. And so I grew up in a um, very much a Christian bubble in Colorado Springs and really didn't um, have much diversity uh, or exposure to what we would call the outside world, um, really any of my life. So being that I was homeschooled, being that I was um, really cocooned in a Christian bubble, being that I was steeped in purity culture, uh, I was never able to identify 
my sexual orientation early on because you just were under the belief that if you did what God asked of you and you followed God's will for your life, that someday you would meet the perfect person and your knight in shining armor would come in on a white horse, you know? And yeah, so I never, sex, yes, never have sex before marriage and you just wait and do the will of God and great things will happen for you. And so I never did it at all growing up. And that really kind of uh, blinded me from being able to recognize that I was gay at a younger age. So I didn't realize it until I was in my early 20s, and it took me several years to kind of navigate that reconciliation of faith and sexuality, and that was extremely hard and full of shame, and took a long time to navigate that, so I get how hard that journey is, and uh, then when I came out to my family, they completely disowned me for um, for being gay, and 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 not only just being gay, but being gay and still believing I could be a Christian, um, I think was part of that. And so I now work full time helping other people navigate that journey successfully because I have met so many people since my last book, since Refocusing My Family released, I have met um, and gotten emails from hundreds and hundreds of people with very similar stories. Uh, your dad does not have to work at focus for you to be steeped in that type of uh, oh, culture yeah. and mentality. And so this spreads far and wide uh, around the globe. I've heard from people, uh, missionary kids and pastors, kids all over the world that are struggling with these same ideas and same concepts. And so that's really what birthed this next book. Um, Unashamed is taking all the most commonly asked questions that I get from people like, how do I know if I'm ready to come out and uh, what if my parents are in ministry or what if I'm in ministry or what if my partner's not out or all these really common questions that I seem to get over and over. And then also the stories of other people that have um, given me permission to share them. And I put it all into a very practical book that takes a holistic approach uh, of really helping them uh, navigate, starting with things like demolishing their own internalized homophobia Uh, and getting rid of that because you really can't go anywhere else until you recognize and and name that. Um, So starting with naming that and recognizing it for what it is and being able to accept yourself and then moving towards being able to um, tell others about who you are in the world and things like establishing healthy boundaries and grieving loss and just all these different things that I think are core key elements um, to our coming out process and that I encounter and the people I meet over and over. Dang, that is the that is actually a very fantastic synopsis of all your work. Like, <laughs> it's like you speak publicly about this stuff. Gee, I wonder. No. Um, well, first of all, thank you for writing this. And you know what's so funny is that like right before uh, this book got announced, I was thinking I'm just like, you know what? There's not like a guide out there. And as soon as I said, I said, damn it. She got to it first. <laughs> so, I'm thrilled because like, I think what sets your work apart from a lot of people is um, your social location to like the very inside core of like conservative Christian land um, mm-hmm. and your proximity to that. Um, where so many uh, queer kids are uh, finding this, like finding themselves in like very similar positions, like you said, um, and like needing to have uh kind of like that touchstone of someone who says like i know exactly what mm-hmm. you're going through mm-hmm. um because i feel like again depending on your social location like a lot of people like might not be able to relate to being homeschooled or relate to only living in like christian cocoon world because like yeah. that was yeah. very similar for me 
Well, and when I went on tour last year to share my story, I had some people that were driving like four and five hours to come hear me speak because they were so desperate to have a story they could relate to and meet someone that understood what they were going through. And so that really moved me too to see um, how vast and wide the story reaches um, and how common it is among people. Um, And they just want to be heard. They want to be seen. They want to um, know that it's okay to be who they are, you know? And so that really um, opened my eyes too, to just how far and wide this really reaches and how needed it is. Yeah. It's a, it's like, and there's also, I feel like there's a lot of resources around like coming out, like when to know you're ready to come out. Like that can be really, really general. I think coming out within religious context is a very different and mm-hmm. B, it takes uh, a different kind of approach in some ways, because if we have to, like you said, not only like unpack, like internalized homophobia and transphobia, queer phobia across the board, but then in addition to that, like so many of us like have to wrestle with like the theological questions and then mm-hmm. also are more mm-hmm. likely to have to, well, I don't want to say more likely. I don't, I don't have the statistic on it, but like it's, we have to deal with our families in some ways. Right. And sometimes that's not always easy. Um, and you have to deal with your faith and your relationship with God. Like it's, it's all encompassing. It's not just one part of who you are. It's all of, all of your whole world. And it, it impacts every area of your life. If you, especially for those that come from conservative faith backgrounds, because not only is your current life at stake, but your eternal life is at stake and your relationships are at stake and your church and your, you know, it's all encompassing. And so it stretches so much further than, than some other, you know, it's, it's just so much more complicated and nuanced. Right. I wanted to, I, I highlighted a couple of places in the book that I wanted to just like hear you speak on a little bit. And there's like the role of shame and then real fear versus false fear. I thought that was like such a fantastic um a fantastic way of just like really summing it up just like there like there are legitimate fears within the coming out process as a queer person absolutely um, so when you started first your coming out process like what was your shame and fear like surrounding and then how did you personally work through those things well i don't think it was until i was writing my book um i was on a podcast with somebody you know fairly early on before the the refocusing my family released and we were talking about shame and I just kind of had this light bulb moment of like, oh my gosh, I feel like my entire life has a root of shame somewhere. Like that has been a thread through my entire life that's carried me. And I think that that is a big piece of evangelical Christianity that yes. they kind of embed fear and shame underneath um, as a way to get you to follow the rules of of religion. And I don't believe that that's how we are supposed to live. We should not be afraid of God or afraid of ourselves or afraid of our eternal destiny or, you know, but I feel like so much of evangelical Christianity is just grounded in fear, whether people realize it or not. And that really is the backdrop of how, what dictates how people act. And so I think recognizing that and the role that it has in your own life can be very liberating and freeing and eye-opening because it really was for me. And I think once you name that, then you're able to move forward into realizing, well, there are some things that I legitimately am afraid of that are, that are true. You know, I'm afraid of losing my job or I'm afraid of being kicked out of my church, or I'm afraid of how my family is going to respond to me. Those are legitimate fears that you have to consider when coming out. And they certainly were for me. And I certainly lost a lot. Um, But there are other fears that are not 
as legitimate that um, people try to make legitimate in your mind. And and one of the big ones that I try to unpack in the book is uh, how God sees you because people make it out to seem that you are unacceptable in the eyes of God as a queer person and that um, you will go to hell forever and you will burn in eternity. And you're, you know, you're the cause of all these problems in the world and those are not real fears. You know, if you, if you really take apart the Bible and you look at who Jesus was and you look at what the Bible says, God loves you for who you are. And I believe that God created you to be who you are and to uh, let your diversity shine in the world um, to, to better display the diversity of God. So it's not something to be ashamed of or to be afraid of. Um, God really loves and adores you for exactly who you are and created you such um, for for the for the purpose of God's revealing um, themselves. So I really try to emphasize that a lot and even unpack certain scriptures that show uh, the diversity of God to help people understand um, just how beautiful that is when you let that shine in the world. Yeah. Wouldn't it be great if like the entirety of Christian faith was just like centered around that I mean, that was the truth that drew us all in, right? Was that, like, God's love is for all people. God's uh, heart is for the liberation of all people. Like, that's the thing that, like, um, I mean, I remember at nine years old when I got baptized, like, I was such, like, a weird kid, and I was, like, kind of picked on all the time. And so when I heard about a Jesus who chose, like, the outcasts of the world, you know, the kind of Jesus who chose, like, the second second best um, to be his disciples, it was, like, I, I I resonate with that so much. And then like to like even what, what I grew up into was this idea that you had to be the best. You had to be the winner. You had to like have all your ducks in a row to be a Christian. You had to believe the right things. And it was all about, it was so much about obedience and not grace and forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Well, and they get you in the door with the idea that God's love is conditional. But as you stay in that environment, what they teach is really very opposite. You know, they, they underlying, they are teaching that God's love is conditional, that God will not love you. If you do this, God will not love you. If you have, it's a hierarchy of measuring up. You need to spend an hour in Bible study every day. You need to pray and fast. You need to do all these things to make yourself worthy before God. You don't have to do anything to make yourself worthy before God. God Mm -hmm. loves you exactly as you are. So you don't have to work your way up that hierarchy of that ladder of works-based religion. You don't have to do anything to be accepted by God. And so I think that's where evangelical Christianity has gone wrong is they kind of display this myth that, that you're, that God's love is unconditional when really their teachings say something else and that they don't say that outright. So it gets kind of embedded in you subconsciously and you don't even realize it until it costs you something. And so like with my family, like they would always say our love is unconditional. God's love is unconditional, but that wasn't really true because when I needed them the most, when I needed their love the most, they walked out on me. So that love wasn't really conditional and they didn't believe that God's love was truly conditional or they wouldn't be so afraid of me going to hell. Mm -hmm. So I think that the conditional versus unconditional love is a big trip up for a lot of people. And that, that needs, that myth needs to be broken as well. Yeah. And I think also to name that, that conditional love, because that's exactly, 
what what it is in when I came out or like I was like on like the uh the cusp of coming out I was kind of like side B ish mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. for a while um where I believe that it was okay it was so interesting like in my mind's eye I was thinking you know it's okay for some people to be gay like God has revealed that to them but God hasn't revealed that to me and so I'm yeah gonna, this thing right. so that's where I was for a few years and it was so interesting to me that when I even talked about like I, I wrote a, a blog that basically I said that I supported uh, same-sex civil marriage um, because, you know, if people aren't submitting themselves to the authority of a church, then we have no business, like, dictating what they should or should not do in a courtroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, like, my my big thing. And my church was not pleased with me. <laughs> um, and I was just like, I'm just like, I haven't done anything. I have just stated an opinion. I'm just like, is this, like, a matter of salvation? And, like... Mm-hmm. It was so interesting to me. I'm just like, it is like within evangelicalism, like uniformity of opinion mm-hmm. and the way we think about things mm-hmm. is so key in keeping control. Yep. And it was like, it was, and you know, we can point out how like cool churches, like it was, it's like people, and they, they don't see it that way. That's the thing. It's like they don't, they don't see like, this commitment to unity no matter what as a problem or see how that could like affect how people are actually viewing themselves or God or any number of things. And like, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a fear-based culture. Like it is. it's a very, I think that you really nailed it. Cause like, if it's not fear of hell, it's fear of losing my community. And yeah. Both of those things are like super huge psychological torment. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I even in in Unashamed, the new book, I even have a whole chapter around coping with conditional love because so many of us get these comments like, I love you, but yeah, there's always that but, there's always that caveat of, I love you, but I know this is not God's will for your life. Or I love you, but I'm not supposed to have gay friends. Or I love you, but, and there's always that caveat that's like a, a condition for their love. And that's, like you said, psychological torment. That's very hard to grapple with. And and what do you do with that? And how do you cope with that? And how do you love yourself in the midst of that? Mm -hmm. I think another interesting thing is the friends in our life that we keep around or choose not to keep around where uh, they don't see, it's like, oh, you're my gay friend. I love you. And, but like, they're not, it's almost just like, they're still, they're loving, but not affirming, whatever that mm-hmm, means. Mm-hmm. Um, and like, they want to pursue, quote, pursue relationship with you. And like, I almost want to sit down and ask them sometimes, I was like, do you believe I'm going to hell? Yeah. And like, do you really think that like, like, because like the way that you treat me, like what you say that you believe and how you treat me are two different things. You say you believe being queer is a sin. And yet on this side of it, like where you treat me like a normal, like you treat me like you've always treated me like so like what's going on right because like this is this is like a weird cognitive dissonance thing for me and they probably don't even want to think about it like because they have this belief and then they have you right in front of them and that feels like a conflict to them because they know what they are supposed to believe but then they know who you are as a person and they love you and so to put those things together or to actually take the time to work through that takes some real courage on their part and not everybody's willing to do that. Yeah. 
Um, there was a part like dead smack in the middle of your book where you were talking about like taking the leap of faith and like figuring out who in your life that you need to come out to, deciding who and who not to come out to. And so I'm wondering like when you are like when you're talking to people about their coming out processes, what are some things that you uh, encourage them to think about? When they're in the process of thinking if they're ready to come out, is that what you're asking? Yeah, and yeah, and there's also specifically like who do I tell first and how do I tell them? That's like the the heading I'm looking at right now. Yeah, um, so first I encourage them to make sure that they're ready, you know, and I kind of take a holistic approach of looking at are you emotionally ready? Are you f- physically ready? Are you spiritually ready? Are you, do you have community support? Do you have financial resources to, to live on your own? Do, you know, like I take them through kind of this holistic approach of seeing if they're actually ready to do this. And a key thing that I emphasize a lot is safety because I think safety yeah. trumps everything else. You have got to feel safe to be able to come out. And if you do not, then it's not time for you to come out. You don't come out in the midst of feeling extremely unsafe and insecure you know like you need to feel secure in in who you are in your relationship with god in your support system to be able to really navigate that with the least amount of collateral damage and so when they are ready to come out i encourage them to think about kind of their spheres of influence and pick somebody that they are pretty sure is going to be affirming because you want your first experience to be a positive one and so pick somebody that you are pretty sure is going to embrace who you are and celebrate that with you because you need that, that um, affirmation and that will give you confidence and courage to go to the next one. And then I kind of encourage people to kind of start on the outside of their spheres of influence, start with acquaintances because if they aren't happy about it, it's not going to affect you as much as if it's your parents or your brother or your sister or your closest friends. So kind of start out and then work your way in as you're ready and able because that will help you kind of gain confidence along the way. Right. So I, I encourage them to take that approach. Something that just came to mind for me, and because I am such an internet human, I first connected with my first, you know, queer friends and queer Christian friends through the Twitterverse. Um, and because I was able to connect with people through that, I um, got in touch with the Reformation Project, et cetera. Et cetera. Mm-hmm. So even if that first person you come out to is like a stranger from Twitter, like uh-huh. DM. Uh-huh. There's like, some hugely I, supportive groups out there on Facebook and in other places where you can connect and be embraced for who you are. And that's a really freeing and liberating experience, especially when you're so afraid yeah. of how it's going to go, you know? Yeah. And if you live in communities where like you're the only queer person for, you know, X number of miles. Right. Um, having that support is so... I mean, for me, like it was the thing that helped me um, through my coming out process um, yep. in many ways was having those internet humans to help yep. me out. Yep. There are people who will love and embrace you for exactly who you are. And when you find that, it feels really, really good. And it gives you the strength to kind of take that next step. Yeah. The And then like the flip side of that is like on the other side of coming out with um, family who is conservative or... Um, people you love in your life, like close friends who you've known from church for so many years. I know that for me, and I'm, I'm sure for you, like there's like people that you still hold on to in some ways. And some like, in many ways, I had to reorient myself to those relationships in order for me to even maintain uh, civility. Right. With some of right. Them. And you have to adjust your expectations. Yeah. Um, because like for like I being in like the 
the church for so long and being a part of like ministry for so long, I had like all these people who were like, were my ministry partners. And like, they were the people who I was accountable to. They were the people who held me and like through like really, really rough times. And, but now it's like, they cannot, they they just can't love me the way I need to be loved. Mm -hmm. They cannot affirm, they can't affirm. Like it was so interesting. It's like, um, my last church, which is, uh, a non-affirming church, they like when I was still trying to work for the the inclusion of LGBTQ people there, like my pastor at the time wrote me a recommendation for seminary. And yet he's the one who adopted this non-inclusive policy. I was like, I don't understand how you can write me a recommendation letter and say that I have a call on my life. And at the same time, you're going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Like those two things do not line up. And so like, again, it's like you said, it's, I have to change my expectations of what, who, what and who this person is going to be. Right. To me. And you may have to adjust, you know, and, and find some new people to take that place. Mm-hmm. So when you are, so like there's the part in your book where you're talking about boundaries and how they're not disrespectful. So many people will, like a lot of our family sometimes will again, will like default to the shame mm-hmm. tactic of just like, you have to engage with me because I'm mm-hmm. your mother or my father, or like you're, you're my sibling. Like you have to talk about this with me. But a lot of times it's like, they're not really wanting to talk with you. They want to talk mm-hmm. about you. So like, how did you start? Like, what is, what does boundary making look like in your eyes? Well, I think ultimately boundaries are meant to keep you safe. Um, whether that's physically safe or emotionally safe or mentally safe, they help create space for you to be who you are without other people saying who you have to be. And so sometimes boundaries are verbal. Sometimes they are physical space that you put between you and another person. But I kind of try to walk them through what that could possibly look like in their situation. Although every situation is different and I can't ever predict every one of them. But sometimes that means boundaries around what the holidays look like. And and when you visit your family, sometimes that looks like boundaries around the ways that you communicate. Um, Sometimes that looks like boundaries around social media and, and who you let in on your feed and in your world and in your private space. Um, You know, those all look different for different people. For me, a boundary I had to set was, you know, my dad would say, well, Amber, you're always welcome to come home for the holidays, but Clara, my wife will never be welcome under our roof. And so then I had to say, well, then I'm not welcome under your roof. Then I'm not coming because that's not fair to her. You would never go somewhere for the holidays where mom wasn't welcome and leave her behind you know, you can't expect me to do that either. She's my wife. I would never leave her home alone for the holidays and go off to sit bedtime with you. And I'm a, I'm a big believer in the fact that, um, because I think, especially as evangelical Christians, we tend to, um, we tend, uh, can you hold on just a second? I'm sorry, Kevin. Oh, you're totally I've fine. got a puppy throwing up. Hold on. Oh, totally fine. Are you okay, sweetie? Let's, 
Okay, are you there? Hello. Sorry, here. my puppy was throwing Hello. up on my carpet. Oh, sweet baby. I know. I hope she's okay. She doesn't throw up very often. You know, she's just really stressed out. All the things that are happening in the world. Today. <laughs> um, you were saying about um, about boundaries, about like you wouldn't um leave your wife behind um because she's like you because like, your father would never leave his wife behind. Right. And so I think setting boundaries like that, I'm a big believer in the fact that once you find that other person that you plan to spend the rest of your life with, you know, and build a family around that becomes your primal family. And you need to protect that nuclear family over your birth family that you were raised in. And so I'm, I'm a big believer in that because often I think in evangelical Christianity, we're taught that, kind of your your nuclear family your birth family is what you're supposed to protect forever you know and we kind of feel guilty if we start protecting someone else and yet i think it's very important that we realize that once you get married that becomes your nuclear family and that's who you need to protect above all else yeah and i would go even further with that like just saying like I think Jesus did a lot of just like reorienting what family was because he was just like, who is my mother and who is my father? It's like the person who is here with me, right. you know? And so I, I think about all the time how often I'm trying to live into the, this big, vast family that goes beyond just uh, even like, you know, a spouse, but just like, you know, how do I have like this dedication to my really close people? Like, I think of like my best friend Miles and John and how those two are, those are my siblings mm -hmm. and, but like more than just like being my siblings, like they're my people. And so I, I, I prize time with them. I, I make sure to set time, I set aside time for them. I like try to talk about more than just the weather, obviously, but like, I, I want to, there's like this weird and interesting concept that my friend that I attended a workshop one time and they said, what would happen if we treated our friends more like our lovers and our lovers more like, mm. our friends? Like, like what if we treated our lovers? Like, you know how you're always honest with like your best friends about whatever. And sometimes like, it feels like weird to talk to your partner about like uh, the hard yeah. stuff. And so this, this concept like really flipped it on its head for me. It's like, you know, you can like be like you, if you can't be honest with your partner, like there's something. Yeah. Or if you, or if you're like, not like, you know, what if you treated your friends like I want to give my friends my time and attention as well. I want to give them my affection. I want to give them my, uh, I want to give to them. Period. So it's just it's such an interesting. I think Christianity offers a lot, like especially like queer Christianity. I feel like we offer a lot to saying like the critique of like what we thought family always was versus what like an expansive family of God looks like. Yeah. So. 
it's it's good and it's a learning um, process oh yeah for sure um uh when you were um i think there's also this other thing that like we the coming out process feels like it for many folks it is like the biggest mile like the biggest milestone and also the biggest hurdle to get over because we just we have this expectation that i mean i'll say it for myself when i came out i thought i'm gonna come out and it's gonna be rainbows and sunshine and like everyone's gonna love me and it's gonna be great <laughs> and i'm stepping into the fullness of who i am all of those things in some ways were true there was a lot of really good stuff but it also came with like that season of loss and like having to mourn what happened right. and then also on the other side of coming out recognizing all the ways that's still like i'm still unpacking internalized hope right i'm still unpacking uh evangelical purity culture from yep. my brain uh, i'm still like there's still so much like it's not like you come out and then you're done and you can just like live your life quote unquote like there's still such a process of absolutely um that we have to go through and i was wondering like for you like your coming out process was obviously like very interesting especially like with like where your family is situated within the evangelical community but like what were some things that you continued to learn as you came out and are still learning. Well, I think boundaries are a big one because you're kind of taught that boundaries are disrespectful, you know? And so I kind of had to take a quick course in boundaries when I came out to be able to protect myself emotionally and mentally. And I, that was very hard for me because I wasn't used to having to set boundaries and my parents weren't used to me setting them. And that was a process that I really had to kind of work on and and start setting for myself and i think that boundaries are never easy you know nobody loves boundaries but it's something that i think i've gotten better at um even in simple things of not over committing and saying no when you're not when you're not able to do something and and those kind of things are boundaries even so i think that's something that i definitely had to grow in especially right after coming out and that i continue to work on and you know deprogramming your brain from the evangelical mindset, I think, takes years, if not a lifetime, even in deconstructing your faith. Like, I feel like I will forever be deconstructing and reconstructing what I believe God to look like and what I believe God to express Dang. because it's it's never ending. And, and I'm okay with that now. That doesn't intimidate me the way it used to because that means I'm always learning and I'm always growing and uh, seeing God in new ways. And so I love that. Um, it used to be a very scary thing to me and it's just not anymore. So I think those are things that I continue to really to, to even value about the process because it makes me a better human being. Yeah. I think you nailed it on the head. It's just like, once you start the deconstruction process of all the other things, it's just like, everyone's like, Oh, I want to get to reconstruction. I'm just like, I don't think we ever really get there. Like, I feel like it's less about like, it's less about building a new framework in which to work and more about, I'm going to take these tools with me in my backpack and just go mm-hmm. on the journey. And then along the way, some of these things are going to get too heavy and I'm going to leave them behind and pick up new yep. things that serve me and serve the world. Like the, the coming out process I think is like such can be such a catalyst for people to really re-examine everything for me. Yep. It also just like, it was like, if once I like um, once I hit my queerness and like, con- like confronted it, um, I also had the space to like learn about, you know, why do black? Right. Matter, Absolutely. Uh, 
and what like you know what is this whole gender thing and why do i feel a certain way and then like it spurred me on and i um i think justin lee said it very perfectly a couple years ago at, uh at then gcn he said if i wasn't gay i don't know if i would be like recognizing right it opens your eyes to start viewing the world differently mm-hmm. and allows you to become an ally to the whole of the justice absolutely system. and i think that's super duper mm-hmm. important because you know, it, it, it does me no good to uh be able to be openly queer and marry who i want to marry and be queer and christian if like you know, if you right, if that's the only thing about you that changes, yeah, it's a, it really helps you get out of yourself. It does. Um, and look kind of at the whole of who all is being marginalized around you, and fight for their equality as well. Yeah. Um. There's also like a, a part in the book that I think is like so beautiful, and like it's towards the end of just like sit like sitting with grief and working mm-hmm. through like like if your coming out process is painful for you and how to deal with that. So when, when you're telling, like when you're talking with people who know that they're about to lose so much, like what's like the encouragement that you're giving them? Well, I think grief is painful, but it's also very important. You know, it's an important part of our process to let go of expectations, to let go of relationships, to let go of the things that have harmed us um, from bad religion and to adjust our view of what God looks like and, and what we look like in that family of God. And so it's definitely a process and I encourage people to, to take that time. And sometimes that comes even in waves, like, you know, you work through things for a while and then you think you're doing well and then you need to work through some again. And I just recently went back to therapy to work through some things that were coming up again for me. And so I think that you don't need to put a timetable on that. You never really, you know, it's not like, okay, I've arrived at my, you know, point of being done with grief, you know, like you never, you don't arrive at that. <laughs> I wish, you know, right. I like, am now grieved. I have grieved and I am I completely, am completely grieved. grieved. I am, I'm grief free, you know, like that doesn't happen because things are going to come up that trigger you and things are going to come up that's painful and things are going to change and move and shift. And um, just being open to that, I guess, and being allowed, allow yourself to sit in that when it comes rather than shaming yourself um, for feeling that way. Uh, and, just allowing yourself to go through the process of uh, because it will make you more free. It will make you more whole to be able to do that. And I think like grief is like, I'm such like a doing, um, a doing Mm -hmm. oriented person and learning to sit in grief is the most painful process for me. A, because I don't do well with my own emotions and B like, because as a culture, not just queer folks, but as a culture uh, in the West, we don't do grief very well. Like we, it's like we're going to allow eight days right. of bereavement leave for you. Then and, you have to be done you know, and be back to normal to... again, and, and back, back to, to work. work. Yes, and people are and so. I think our culture is so um, egocentric that people care for a short amount of time, and then they get so consumed with their own lives again that they forget that you're still grieving and it may have been a year or two or three and you're still grieving and people kind of forget that. And so then it can often become isolating because you don't have the support through that whole process of grief. Yeah. I remember um, like this past weekend was like the one year anniversary of my Mm. father's death. And like, 
I set some time aside because I knew that I was going to just be there. And like the, the, the whole thing is like grief is not something to do. Right. Grief is not something to like to quote unquote process grief is like, there's no action on your part besides allowing yourself to feel right. it all and feel like the intensity of it. Like, and just, I think learning to let myself cry yeah. when yeah. I needed to was a game changer yeah. for me in so many ways. It's hard. It's hard to sit with um, grief. Especially for those of us that have been taught, like, you need to appear okay. You need to have it all together. You need to wear that mask and that smile. Um, it's hard to get to that point of of grieving and just sitting in that and not trying to hurry through it. Yeah. So allow – my it's just, like, sit, there, sit with it mm-hmm. as a friend. Mm-hmm. And I think within that, like – I always think about God being right. in that grief, about how God is also sitting with like, you, sitting with us, weeping with us, and allowing us to like to allowing us to just be like in the fullness of who we are. Like this is part of our human experience, yeah. and a lot of times, just people don't know how to how yeah. to sit with people. And I think like, there's nothing to like, there's nothing to fix. There's only yeah. to be, yeah. you know. Grief is the being like grieving. It does not mean that you failed or that you are failing. Grieving means that you are uh, hurting. Yeah, you've lost, and that's and that can. I mean, loss can look so many different ways. You know, it doesn't even have to be an actual person that you've lost. It could be, you know, your job or your relationship um, with the church or your, you know, your faith or the way that it's shifting and changing or. Um, your place in ministry. I mean, loss comes in so many different forms. It really does. And all absolutely. I think there's so many times we want to like, we want to play like loss Olympics and it's like, well, you know, this person has lost more than me. I shouldn't be right. sad. But we don't have to compare ourselves. Yeah. It all hurts. And, and I think what's also, the other lie that I encountered in my first, in my coming out process was like, I think I just thought that like, I was the only one, like there's, <laughs> there's, there's a big, there's a big temptation to just say, I feel like to not reach out, to not share that pain with other people because uh, either we feel silly about asking for help or we do think that we're the only mm-hmm. one. We do think we're like, we uh, like, and that's just simply not true. Like, there's so many other humans who have, who have lost and are losing, who are like right there with us. And yeah. it's so important to reach out to them. It ones. is. And it's, and to ask for help. Right. And I think it's one of the hardest steps for us as humans to take. And yet it's one of the most healing steps because you suddenly realize that you're not alone and people will sit with you if you ask them. That was my conversation with Amber Cantorna. You can pick up her new book, Unashamed, a coming out guide for LGBTQ Christians now wherever amazing books are sold. And be sure to pick up her first one called Refocusing My Family from Fortress Press. It's a really fantastic memoir about that whole situation. I think you're really going to love it. Amber, thanks so much for being on the show. You're amazing. Oh, and if you want to you know, connect with her, Amber Cantorna across social media, ambercantorna.com. All those links are below. You all know the deal. Amber thank you for being on the show. You're the best. 
A Tiny Revolution is supported by 129 amazing humans on Patreon. And if you don't know what that is, then I don't think that you listen to podcasts or, like, know anything about, like, how we're supporting ourselves in these screens, honey. Um, basically, Patreon is a way for you to support the creatives in your life that are making a difference, uh, like making content that matters, uh, making podcasts, blogs, videos about the queer Christian experience. I don't know. That, maybe that sounds familiar to you. But if this podcast was good for you, if this podcast you think has been helping you um, navigate your faith, if any of my work has really impacted you in a positive way, I'd really love for you to become a supporting partner because it's only through supporting partners like you that I'm able to actually, you know, get this work out there um not to mention very soon we're going to be releasing uh coupon codes for people who are uh 15 supporters or more so you can get your quarterly t-shirt now that i've like revamped my whole t-shirt line which has been a journey um but go ahead and go check that out that'd be amazing and um go ahead and tell your friends and if you can't support the show financially i totally understand but there is an easy way for you to do that and that's by leaving us a five-star review in itunes Seriously, leaving a review, saying a kind word, sharing it on social media gets this in front of people who need it. So if you can't throw a a dollar or two my way per month, then why don't you just, you know, use your little tappy tap fingers on your little phony phone. Get that done, BB. You can do it. I believe in you. (laughs) Um, That's all for me, really. Um, Once again, go uh, purchase Amber Cantorna's book. Links are in the description box. Um, go check me out on the YouTubes, the Twitters, and the Instagrams, wherever I am on the internet. It's mostly at the Kevin Garcia. And uh, drop me a line if you ever want to. I'd love to hear from you, and I will try my best to get back from you. Best way is honestly, like, slide into my Instagram DMs if you have something. Um, I love you. I hope you're doing well. So till next time, make sure you go see your therapist. Take your meds. Drink some water. Move your body. Eat something delicious. Um, call somebody that you love and tell them that you need help. If you need help, call somebody you love and just tell them you love them just cause you love them. That'd be fun. Anyways, thanks so much for tuning in again this week. You guys, I'm always amazed that we can continue to do this, especially as we're creeping up on a hundred episodes, which is going to be wild. I should probably do something like, uh, something important, like a, a, a fancy episode or something. Anyways, I love you. I hope you're doing good and I can't wait to talk to you again soon. Y'all bye. Bye.